Well, thank you, John. Um, very glad to be here. Um, if I'm talking too loud, would somebody just give me a signal or something? I don't want to talk too loud or too soft on the other end. Uh, let me know. I am setting my stopwatch. I do not want to go too long. Uh, so let me... <laughs> somebody said thank you. I think. Okay. Um, I really appreciate John and Dina. They're great people. Really enjoy have, getting to know them through the years. So just thanks for inviting me here. I think John said, um, I don't know if he did say, but I have four kids, um, three girls, 12, 10, and 8. And then I have a three-year-old boy. And so uh, my house is a lot of fun, a lot of chaos. But my wife, Kelly, um, we met in Santa Cruz, California. And we were doing college ministry there. And uh, I decided to pursue her. And then we got engaged. And we were going to get married. Where I went to college? I went to NC State. Okay, good, good. Um, so I was going to be the most prepared person to be when I got married. So I read marriage books. I met with people who were wise and were married. We had marriage counseling beforehand. Um, I listened to talks about marriage. I was going to be the most prepared that anybody could be, and I was going to be ready. So we get married, and um, we get home from our honeymoon, and my wife's family called and said, hey, her parents, and she kind of went to high school in Texas at the time, or her parents were living in Texas. And they called and said, hey, we're moving to Canada, and we're selling the house you kind of grew up in, and, um, and basically kind of like, see ya. So my, so my wife cried the whole week after our honeymoon, and it just didn't um, stop after one week. It felt like the whole year or two. Okay, so those first couple years of marriage hit me like a ton of bricks. They were so hard. And remember, I was going to be the most prepared. Okay, nothing I read or heard prepared me for what I was about to walk into. And so I felt, um, I kind of felt like a failure. I felt, um, I just felt like, well, what did I do wrong? Like, what have I done wrong in this situation, um, in this marriage? Um, I felt too embarrassed to even talk to other people about it. Like, everyone else's marriage looks perfect, or they're happy. Like, what's wrong with me? So I, I felt embarrassment. So I carried that for many years. And... Um, So, so I carried that for many years. Um, so there's that. Let, 
sounds like a a bug is eating my microphone. I don't know. Okay. Um, so, um, recently in our church, we were encouraged to share our stories um, about kind of events in our life. And I was like, well, I don't really, not really too excited about doing this. I, I actually said, I really don't have many emotions. Like, I just kind of motored through things. And so I did it. And I started finding some events in my life that, um, and I started to see a theme. And some of the events were, um, I broke my leg when I was 12 or so, and my parents didn't take me to the doctor for three days. Um, one was one of my best friends got shot and killed, and my parents wouldn't take me to the funeral. Um, so th there started to be a sense of seeing that my maybe emotional needs weren't being met as a kid. And, um, and so I, I think it made me feel inadequate growing up. Um, I think I started to see themes of, of, of shame. Um, I was always real small. In eighth grade, I was the smallest boy in school. I remember the principal saying, um, when I was going into ninth grade, she thought I was an incoming sixth grader. So I, I always had shame about being small. I wanted to be good in sports, but I just, I just couldn't compete. Um, I remember one time my dad said some hurtful things. Um, so, so anyway, I think I carried this shame or maybe these feelings of inadequacy um, into our marriage. So, so when I started feeling like a failure, I think what I was experiencing was some shame in that. Um, so that was my reality at the time. So that was what I was experiencing. So it could be something small like a mom, 7 o'clock at night, she needs to make dinner, she's trying to make dinner. The dog just got out. The three-year-old just spilled milk. Um, the other kids are yelling at her that they don't like the food. And in that moment, in that moment, she's wondering, like, how does Jesus make a difference right now? Like, I know that Jesus died for my sins, but right now, I'm experiencing anger. I'm experiencing, maybe it's shame. Maybe I just want to escape. Okay, so in that moment, that's her reality. Okay, so I want to ask you today, like, what is your reality right now? Like, what has been pressing on you this week? What things have been dominating your mind this week? So that would be your reality right now. Um, whatever that reality is, it impacts your heart and soul. Whatever thing you're going through, it can affect your body. And what I mean by that is, maybe you're having trouble sleeping. Maybe um, you're real tense in your shoulders. Okay, maybe you just feel anxiety all over your body. Okay, so whatever your reality is, it can affect your body. Um, your reality, can impact relationships with others. 
with your spouse, with your kids. Your reality, whatever you're experiencing, could be affecting your relationship to God. But lots of times when we have struggles, we feel alone. But I'm going to tell you not to feel alone in your struggles. Um, I'm going to take us to Genesis 3, which is the fall, where Adam and Eve were in the garden and then they ate of the fruit. Most of you, I'm sure, know the story. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to read that. But in that, we're going to pull out six common struggles that Adam and Eve experienced from that event. And I'm going to define common struggles as they describe the ways we respond to evil as we live in a fallen world. We weren't created to experience evil, okay? So when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, everything was perfect, right? God had a relationship with them. God did not create them to experience evil, but then the fall came. So I'm going to read this passage, and, and you try to pick these out, and then we'll go through them. But there are six common struggles that they experienced in the fall. So I'm going to start on Genesis 3, and I'm going to read 1 through 12. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat in the tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten in the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And I'll stop there at verse 12. <clears throat> So remember, we weren't created to experience evil. So let's talk about the ways, the common struggles that come out of this passage. The first is fantasy. From verses 1 through 6 there, Adam and Eve envisioned a life in which they could be like God and they didn't have to obey God. So that's fantasy kind of escaping to a different reality. They were imagining their life was different in some way. So we can define fantasy as refusing to accept or address your actual situation, instead seeking a different reality that offers an imagined escape or hope. 
The second one is guilt in verse 7. As soon as they rejected God and his command, they stood guilty before him. So we can define guilt, define guilt as guilt is pain that comes from something that you've done wrong. The third one is shame. Also in verse 7, they sensed something was wrong with themselves. They experienced shame and embarrassment over their sinfulness. So shame is pain that comes from who you are or who you think you are. So earlier in my story, I said I think I was experiencing shame. That would be me. The fourth one is fear. In verses 8 through 10, instead of drawing near to God like they were created to do, they hid and they were afraid. So fear is an anxious anticipation of something perceived to be threatening or dangerous. The fifth one was anger. So in, in verses 11 through 13, when asked what was going on, they responded with blame and bitterness. Adam said, the woman you gave made me do it. So anger is a strong feeling of displeasure or hostility in response to someone or something that opposes what you value. And then finally, the sixth one is sorrow. And we didn't read this passage because it was long, but verses 16 through 24 comes sorrow. Is Adam and Eve felt sorrow because of their guilt and shame, and also because God judged them when they were banished from the garden. So sorrow is a deep sadness or despair, usually resulting from loss. So that's six common struggles that they experience. So I'll go through them again real fast. There is fantasy, guilt, shame, fear, anger, and sorrow. And earlier I said, let's not be along because we all, as I was saying, going through those, I hope that you could identify in your own life some of those. We all experience these things all the time. Um, at some point or another, they're common struggles. We all experience the same common struggles, so we don't have to be alone in those. Um, and remember, we were not created to experience evil. So, what do we do with this? One thing is, we have to reframe our story with God's story. Um, I'm sure some of you have flown before, and I don't know if you've ever been on a flight, but sometimes on the flight when you're about to take off, maybe, maybe it's raining, maybe it's storming, maybe there's some turbulence going up, maybe you're feeling a tad fearful as you're, as you're taking off or you're flying, and it's, it's really bad, okay? But then once you get above the clouds, it can be perfect and peaceful up there. No rain, no turbulence. It's peaceful. So we all live in the fall, and so that's like below the clouds. But once we get above the clouds, that is God's reality. But we're living right now in the fall, which is our reality. So how do we reframe our reality to God's reality, which I like to call above the clouds? That's what we need to do. And to do that, we need to make Jesus our reference point. 
And so we need to ask ourselves, what is our reference point right now? Is it the, the circumstance that you're going through right now that's really hard? Is it, I feel like a failure because my marriage isn't like the book said it was going to be? Is that my reference point? Maybe you're sick. Maybe someone you know is really sick. Is that your reference point? Is um, social media your reference point? Is culture your reference point? We need to make Jesus our reference point and live above the clouds. Um, and so how does Jesus make a difference? I'm going to go through four quick ways, and then, and then I'll, be, I'll be done. Um, so how does Jesus make a difference in light of these things, in light of the milk being spilled at 7 o'clock, and you've got to figure out what dinner is? How does Jesus make a difference there? So number one, Jesus restores us with his love. Um, Jesus endured all kinds of suffering and temptations, and so if there's anyone that can understand and identify with what you're going through, with the sorrow, with maybe injustice you're experiencing, Jesus can identify with that. Number two, we need to live in God's presence, which basically means we need to abide with him. You know, John, I think and Dina said, you know, I, I talked throughout the day with Jesus. Like, I'm reading his word, I'm talking with him throughout the day. That's abiding with Jesus throughout the day. We need to abide. We need to live in his presence. Number three, we need to live in God's promises. Uh, when life feels unsure, God's promises are always sure. So let's live in God's promises. And number four, we need to live in God's power. There, there's a verse that says that... God's power is made perfect in my weakness, which is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. So God's power is made perfect when I am weak. Okay, so we need to live in, try to live in God's presence, God's promises, God's power, um, and abide with him. And that is how Jesus makes a difference. I think I'm right on time, John. Almost. Um, so I'm just going to, I've kind of thrown a lot, of, a lot of stuff out right there, but I'm going to try to sum it up. Basically, I, I encourage you to identify your common struggles. When I listed those six, I try to identify what your common struggles are. Usually, we, we really struggle with one or two of those more than the others. So identify whatever my common struggle is, how is that playing out in my everyday life? How is that playing out when I'm going through a bad circumstance? Okay? Uh, number two, remember you're not alone. These are common struggles. We all have experienced guilt sometime of our life. We've all experienced sorrow. Um, remember you weren't created to experience evil. Okay? We weren't created to experience these struggles. Next, reframe your story with God's story. Live above the clouds, okay? Make Jesus your reference point. He understands. And, and lastly, abide with Jesus. Abide with Jesus every day, hour by hour, minute by minute. 
Um, you're good. That's a great ending point. Um, so, what I've gone through is, it's called a, um, it's something we've gone through in my church called Restore. And I've kind of just outlined some of the basic principles of it, but it, it, it's all biblical from the Bible. And um, I never realized, um, especially from that Genesis account, just in Genesis 3, that the things that Adam and Eve experienced, those six common struggles, are the same thing that I experience today. Um, so l let me pray. Father, just thank you for... Um, this time, I thank you for this church. God, I thank you that you are good. Um, God, I thank you that you are our redeemer. God, help um, us to make Jesus our reference point. Um, God, we need you. We need you every hour. We need you every day. God, I just pray that um, everyone in this room has experienced the fall in some way. And uh, you came to save us from that. And so I just thank you that you took on our sins and that you could make us whole in that. And so uh, we love you, God, and I just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.